Hey, thanks for tuning in to episode 16 of the Rostrofina Project. Today's guest is an actor, stuntman, martial arts expert and avid pianist. You may know him as Fat Tony from The Gentleman or as John from Take Me Out. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Dr. John Shuazan. So how do you know Steve? We used to work together. We used to work in the same building together. And um, yeah, we just got on really well. And uh, how, how do you know him? We used to go to school together and stuff. And uh, we were oh, wow. together. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we go it's well like, back. Great guy, though. Yeah, oh. Really great guy. Yeah, he's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you actually live in Oxford as well? Mm, I do. Oh. Whereabouts do you live? I live in Brighton, but I was originally from uh, Wantage. Wantage? Oh, okay. Yeah. Just down the road. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, Oxford's such a beautiful city. I really miss it, actually. Yeah, yeah. How did you get into martial arts? Uh, so, yeah, just uh, I was born into it, really. I started when I was five, and my dad was my uh, first instructor. And then he got me training with other people. And yeah, more notably, he got me training with a guy who teaches the SAS, who taught the SAS. Yeah, um, <laughs> I didn't realize what, what a great deal I was getting until I got a bit older. I thought, actually, whoa, this guy's actually really good when i started training with other people i thought oh my god this guy is actually fantastic <laughs> easy oh that's awesome uh, was this someone your father was aware of then i think he drove around like a 50 mile radius let's see which clubs are good and which you know and uh, so and he found this one club where there was a guy called russell he would teach the basics and then this other guy jerome who was the sas guy uh the way my instructor tells the story was my dad would stand outside watching him teach from start to finish <laughs> And <laughs> about a month later, my brother and I started. Did you have binoculars in the car park? <laughs> Scary, huh? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in the West Midlands, um, Telford, uh, Wolverhampton, Birmingham. And then I moved to Oxford about 14 years ago, so I've lost the accent. And, oh, okay. Uh, I think the accent was the first to go, actually. Oh. <laughs> It's probably for the best, if I'm honest. Did you have a bit of a Brummy accent before that then? Yeah, and <laughs> when I'm back there, um, it, it comes back. And it comes back within a few hours, and <laughs> it takes a couple of days for it to leave. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, it's crazy. That's so funny. Uh, so, uh, how old are you now? I'm 32. Oh, well, same age as that. me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. How did you decide you were going to get into being a stuntman? Well, you know, I think as a child, I always wanted to be a superhero. And if I couldn't be a superhero, I would settle for playing one in a film. <laughs> um, and failing that, I settled for playing the villain, uh, which I've done many times now. But um, So I'd always wanted to get into films, but I played it safe. I, you know, I studied business, I studied um, computing and everything. And I thought, right, OK, let's... Um, Let's have a fallback just in case, you know. But I knew the film was what I wanted to do. And then my brother saw an open casting in London. And we thought, okay, let's check this out, right? So we went over to London. They took some photos of us. And yeah, they not so long after that, we got a call back. And um, it was at Shepperton Studios where they uh, auditioned us physically. And we realized it was for 47 Ronin, which is a Keanu Reeves movie. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. <laughs> I gave a good account of myself. I, I mean, they did call me back, which is nice. And they trained us for two weeks to be samurais. And then on the third week, we were on set. And it was insane. You know, it was, um, 
and I realized then, you know, hey, this is this is what I want to do, and uh, yeah. So since then, steadily, you know, um, I've just been jumping from job to job, but I've always had a full time job alongside that as well. So um, it's always juggling things. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So is it you had a certain look that they were looking for? Yes, and that certain look has um, been my niche for the past ten years. So. For Hobbs and Shaw, for instance, which is new, uh, one of the new Fast and Furious films with Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham, I got an email through my website asking if I would be up for auditioning to be part of their stunt team. <laughs> I thought, whoa, okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> I didn't know it was a Fast and Furious film until I got there the next day. Basically, they said to me, we were looking for large Asians who are able to move, you know, large, mobile Asians. I thought, okay, cool. And, he's, and I said, well, how did you find me? Well, we uh, did a Google search and we found you. And I said, what on earth were you searching for? <laughs> large Asians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so you know, being um, a bold, large Asian who can do martial arts is has been my niche. So, um, well, I played uh, a role as Fat Tony in The Gentleman as well, the, the latest Guy Ritchie film. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and one of the guys said to me, actually, you know, you are exactly the look we were going for. I thought, oh, that's nice to hear. I've got a little niche. Oh, <laughs> so, awesome. uh, yeah, it's worked out well for me, especially as um, when you get big guys in films, they tend not to be particularly mobile. They don't particularly flexible or nimble. Been doing martial arts for 27 years. So when they get me to do more of the clumsy fight scenes and everything it's dead easy um <laughs> yeah it's, it's good fun but uh yeah i mean i have had to wear a wig before though <laughs> which yeah yeah that's weird <laughs> yeah so um i think on the first day i'm like oh this is so cool hmm. and the second day after all the rehearsals and you realize just how much work this job is going to be on the second day i'm like oh man not this again <laughs> And four months down the line, you're still wearing the wig. <laughs> Good fun, though. Did it ever fall off? It's glued on pretty oh, tightly. Glued on. <laughs> mm, glued on to my scalp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that horrible to get off at the end? Yeah, so they wanted me to grow my hair initially. And um, they gave me a month and I couldn't grow it quickly enough. So they said, okay, we'll just shave your head again and then we'll um, glue it to your head. I thought, okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah, normally for hair and makeup, when I'm not wearing a wig, it takes next to no time. There was a film I worked on where um, the makeup artist was like putting some powder on my face and everything, and her boss came over and said, no, 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 we want them to look rough. We want them to look like thugs. He's fine without the makeup, trust me. Ooh. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I'm right here. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, they, they wiped the, the makeup off and uh, the boss, he looked at me and he was like, yeah, this is the look. This is the look. Yeah, and he said to me, mate, on the day when you're shooting, just make sure you come like this. I said, this is me all the time. <laughs> yeah, good fun. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, are you actually tall as well? I'm five foot nine on a good day. On a good day. <laughs> on a good day yeah so um right get this my dad is six foot four i'm not too sure what happened to me oh, okay. <laughs> i mean i'm 32 now and i'm expecting my growth spurt to happen any day now <laughs> i'm five six so like not too far off okay okay is that tom cruise height i don't know maybe <laughs> <laughs> 
So have you always been uh, quite stacked as well, or was that from weightlifting that you got to that? Yeah, so I've been about the same build since I was 17. Oh, wow. No, I was a big kid. Um, so I think I've been five foot nine since I was 14. And we always thought that I was going to grow taller and I was going to, you know, get bigger and bigger and everything. I think 17, um, my frame kind of maxed out and my height maxed out too. So <laughs> I've been fairly consistent over the past four or 15 years or so. <laughs> oh, uh, it's just when uh, people are quite like built as well. It's actually quite hard to tell how tall they are. Nah, you look good, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> I definitely look taller in photos. You know, um, it's like when I was uh, facing off with Dwayne Johnson, and he is six foot five. Oh, wow. I mean, he's ginormous, and it's like when he stood up, he didn't stop standing up, and he just got bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> and um, I'd never seen anything quite like it. I mean, the skin on that man is immaculate. You know, it's like he literally looks like a walking mountain. He is such a nice man though like super nice really supportive and same with jason statham who i didn't have a scene with but he came onto our set and he was super nice he, he came over and bro hugged me and said hey bro really good to see you i'm like hey man you too he walks off and i thought he has no idea who i am and that was so nice yeah. <laughs> out of all the films you've done he's been like the favorite crew you've worked with favorite guy would be a guy called don lee don lee is the equivalent of dwayne johnson out in asia oh okay so he is in a film called Train to Busan, which is what a lot of people will know him for here in the West. So it's a South Korean zombie film. Oh, okay. I remember when I watched it, I thought, oh, this guy's huge. You know, he's absolutely stacked. And um, I love this character because he was literally body slamming zombies. I thought, oh, this guy is amazing. And, you know, I've been watching some of his other films and everything. And then when I got the call to double for him, I couldn't believe it. Because they said to me, we're looking for a... Um, someone to double for one of our actors and inside I'm like please be Don Lee please be Don Lee and it's for an actor called Don Lee I'm like (laughs) (laughs) and uh, yeah I couldn't believe it and he is my inspiration I would say just because when he came on set he remembered everyone's names you know he talked to everyone and then the next day when he came back on set he'd remember your name and uh, you know he's like oh uh, Nick hi you know (laughs) he talked to you for a bit he was genuinely so humble fella you know and very generous with his knowledge also generous as a person I mean he took me out for lunch and everything and we got on so well though but um, I was thought you know he is where I would like to be someday yeah huge inspiration and the man has a huge heart you know what I mean and I think that's so important and someone else would be Keanu Reeves as well he is super nice like genuinely cares about you I didn't realize it was him until maybe two or three minutes into talking to him because I didn't have my glasses on at the time and it was outside I mean it was very smoky because we I stood next to this fire bin just to stay warm and um this tall dude comes over and starts talking to me and I'm like yeah yeah cool you know just to, and then um I leaned in a little closer I thought oh oh <laughs> but he had no interest in bragging about anything all he wanted to know was is this your first film how are you finding it you know what do you do when you're not doing films and you know I said well I've just finished studying oh really what did you study so he really takes an interest in you as a person and it's like after a while it's you realize this guy is so he's normal but he's so he's the epitome of humanity this man you know he's such a wonderful man and so 
definitely I'd love to work with him again someday. But <laughs> Do you have a favorite scene that you've worked in? Ooh. Not even necessarily at the time, but afterwards you looked at it and you were like, ooh. <laughs> I think most notably would be The Gentleman uh, more recently as well, because it's now out on Amazon Prime, getting tagged left, right, center when people watch it. Like, hey, you're that guy. <laughs> that's that, that's nice, you know. But also, when I did ITV's Take Me Out. Um, oh, yeah, that's good to ask about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, that was nice, because, and it still gets aired today. Yeah, lots of people still contact me. And I realized that it's repeated when I get an influx of new followers on Instagram. I thought, oh, that's nice. Oh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the three million people watched that episode. And it was um, insane, you know, um, like suddenly in Oxford, because Oxford is such a small city, I mm. couldn't go anywhere without people saying, hey, you're that guy. And <laughs> when I used to do a lot of door work, people would still recognize me. And uh, they say, hey, no likey, no lighty. I'm like, mm, all right. <laughs> well, you're not coming in. <laughs> oh, dear. Good fun, though. Oh, that's so funny. How did you end up on that show? Right. So my mates and I used to watch it um, on TV years and years and years ago. And they used to say, hey, John, you should totally go on it. And I remember looking at the application forms. I thought, God, this is extensive. Nah, I mean, I don't have time for that. And then um, a few years later, their casting team added me on Facebook and started messaging me. Then the next day, they invited me to... Um, London to audition and I still thought literally maybe two months even I'd say a week before me actually being on the show I still thought I was getting scammed you know? oh, really? <laughs> I thought this can't be real you know but no it was very real it definitely put me on the map because it got me more work after that oh, really? yeah so uh, it got me the job on the Brit Awards as well where um, I play a ninja next to Ant or Deck um, <laughs> <laughs> And the other ninja next to me is um, the guy who Mr. Bean turns into when he eats Snickers. It's, so there's an advert where um, Mr. Bean is in ancient China and he falls <laughs> through the roof. Then he eats a Snickers, turns into another Asian man, and then like does a few spirals as he jumps up back onto the roof. But there, no, that guy's my mate. <laughs> so yeah, whilst it's a huge industry, it's a very, very small world. So I'll work on different projects where... I'll have mutual friends with other people who are on set. And I'll also work with people that I've worked with before, maybe a few years back and everything. So there's a really nice sense of camaraderie and um, everyone's super nice. So Take Me Out is the thing you get recognized most for then? Yes. Um, so Take <laughs> Me Out and The Gentleman. I think they're the most recognizable things that I've done. Because I think even with my appearance on Hobbs and Shaw, I still had a hat on. Unless you knew it was me, you just think it's some dude in a cut-up hoodie and a t-shirt. When I was in a petrol station not long ago, I was um, around about two in the morning and I just get these lads in the car um, who are eyeing me up. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Better be careful here, you know, and there's four of them in a the car and they keep staring at me. I just look over and I nod my head at them, you know, and one of them opens the windows and says, mate, you're on, take me out. I thought, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I was in Birmingham, two weeks ago I had my full face mask on and everything and this guy as I walked past excuse me mate weren't you on take me out I thought how on earth could you tell you know yeah, <laughs> yeah I, oh. I said you must have x-ray vision I mean fantastic yeah. <laughs> that's pretty funny that that's like your most recognizable thing 
just a funny game show. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I've done other things, but no one seems to care. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do love Take Me Out, though. It's really funny. Yeah, it's a great show. <laughs> yeah, I watched a clip of it on YouTube, and oh, yeah. I did kind of recognise the where you were playing the piano and then did the... Was it Nunchucks you did? Oh, the sticks. Yeah, like, I yeah. Did, I, yeah, I did recognise it. So maybe I did see it originally, but yeah, it would have been a while ago. When was this? So we filmed it about five years ago. It aired mm. about four and a half years ago. The thing is, I thought, right, if it doesn't go well, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to let my hair grow a bit. So I've got yeah. some hair in that. And then I thought, okay, if it doesn't go well, I'll just take it all off. And <laughs> But uh, no, as it turns out, there was a very lovely lady who left a light on for me who I think halfway through the show, I knew I was going to pick her um, oh, just because she seemed so nice and she was gorgeous. And uh, we are still friends to this day, oh, which I'm really proud nice. of. Um, yeah, Trudy's lovely. She's been very uh, busy during lockdown with her business and everything. And you know, I'm so proud of her. And I think all the guys on my show they don't even talk to their dates anymore as far as where. Oh. I'm really happy that I'm still close with Trudy. Ah, oh, that's a nice story. You mentioned you were uh, wax door security. Uh, what did that line of work teach you about conflict resolution? For my PhD, I actually uh, devised a theoretical framework on conflict resolution. Of course, that would have been really useful whilst I was doing doors, you know what I mean? <laughs> In terms of conflict resolution, it's all about not taking anything personally and nothing at all. You know, if someone says something that's rude or, you know, disrespectful, it's not the hill you want to die on. Absolutely not. And if you are to, say, eject someone forcefully, then, hey, you know, what might happen is um, that person might be waiting for me later on when I finish my shift. Or you might have friends. Or they might wait for me next to my car or wherever. So you always have to be very careful about these things. I mean, the scariest thing, I mean, whilst I've had all kinds of weapons pulled out on me and even needles and everything whilst I was working the doors. The scariest part of doing security is always when you finish your shift, when you're walking back to the car. That's always the scariest part for me. Just because you finish the shift now and you're exhausted. It's like three or four in the morning. And in your mind, you are already thinking about going to bed. You know, you're kind of on autopilot. That's when you are most vulnerable. You know, so I'm sure that as soon as I finish my shift, I'll get something to drink, maybe a little coffee or something, and uh, just to wake me up a bit more and be on high alert. Get to my car as quickly as possible and just drive home. But I think in terms of what I learned from that would be you want to respond in empathy as opposed to react in anger. So that's what I would always advise people, you know. So think before you say anything. You know, if there's a bunch of lads in front of you, sometimes you might say something that sounds really cool, but you end up regretting it. It's like, hey, lads, find someone less likely to put you in hospital. It's like, <laughs> oh, hey, that sounds so cool. It sounds so cool. But then you turn around, you're like, oh, <laughs> shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you live and learn. But I would always say, respond in empathy. Don't react in aggression. Would you be able to tell at the time when you had a, an interaction with someone if they would be mad enough to stand outside the club or you didn't know and that was the issue? I tend to be the friendly one. Whilst when I'm working, I might not look so friendly, but when as soon as people talk to me, I open up and everything, I smile a bit more. And in terms of that, I was always okay. But if someone, let's say a group of them were under the influence of something and not just alcohol, then you can't reason with them. And then you may have to raise your voice at them, not because you're angry, but because that's what they need to hear. But then push comes to shove. You end up then having to eject a few of them out. Let's say, I don't know, I'll put out a number and say 15 of them. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> let's say you throw 15 of them out. Not saying that I've done that, but let's say you throw out 15 of them. And now they're outside waiting for you. And um, one of the managers says, you know, they're regulars. They're going to wait outside for you all night. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So then at one in the morning, you know, it's like, I remember stepping out. Well, not me. Someone might remember stepping out and then, <laughs> and then saying, you lads waiting for me. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, okay, it's one o'clock now. I finished at four o'clock. So hang tight. And then walk back in. Oh my God, don't antagonize the situation. <laughs> I remember when I did step out. Uh, you know what? I, I won't continue with this clever pretense. It was me. Now, when, yeah. <laughs> when I eventually stepped out at four in the morning, uh, there was only about four or five of them. Whatever they had taken had worn off and uh, they were all eating kebabs and everything. I thought, right, who wants to get a messy kebab all over them by this point? I think by that point, you know, I'm always very good at talking my way out of things. Always. Mm. It's like years and years ago in a pub waiting for a friend. And you know when you're just in your own little world and you're staring into space? And mm. I realized that I was making eye contact with someone the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I snapped out of it and realized that, oh, no. Ooh. Anyway, this guy then takes it upon himself to come over and ask me what my problem is. He goes, you got a problem, you got a problem. You know, you got to think on the spot. And the first thing I was like, oh, my God, yeah, no, my, my mate just died. He was like, oh, Oh, he's like, oh, yeah, mate. Oh, sorry. Are you all right? I'm like, yeah, no, thanks for checking on me, man. No, my head's a mess. Oh, oh, yeah, I really appreciate it, though, man. You know, oh, yeah. And he was like, yeah, all right. Can I buy you a drink or something? No, nah, nah, I'm all right. Thank, thank you. You really kind of really appreciate that. He then goes back to his mate. I'm like, oh, God, I was close. My mate's fine. <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> then one of my mates actually comes in. I was like, dude, we got to go now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, so whilst I might look a certain way, I can be exceptionally non-threatening, which is so, so important. You know, it's like, I think looking a certain way can be a physical d deterrent. But as soon as you start talking to someone, people have said to me, you know, dude, your voice doesn't match your body, whatever that means. <laughs> I can play that to my own advantage. And actually, you know, I like talking anyway, so I never have any problems. If someone's angry for whatever reason, you know, it, you know I can talk people down fairly well that's good then uh, tell us more about this uh this thing you did for your phd so um i've got a phd in metaphysics which is uh, something i did ooh, six years ago and then my other phd is in coaching and leadership so i've worked in academia i worked as the hang on the psychologist for the Saudi Arabian national taekwondo team. So, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. So yeah, I got to uh, put a lot of my own research into practice, especially with working with athletes who are under a tremendous amount of pressure in terms of meditation, lifestyle. For instance, one of my exercises with the athletes would be um, actually just keep your headphones on, close your eyes and listen to crowd noises. And they're like, crowd noises? I'm like, yeah, because as soon as you go out to compete, suddenly there's going to be a crowd of people. That's what's going to make you nervous as well. You know, if you're going to fight someone, you train every single day, you're going to be fine. Okay. But the crowd noises might really bug you. You know what I mean? It's like the added pressure of that. So start visualizing, even when you're training, turn on crowd noises, you know, just so it acclimatizes your body to the conditions of the environment that you're going to be in. So essentially under exam conditions, and then 
once they get used to that, as soon as they step out into the arena to compete, they're already used to that pressure because they have acclimatized to it because they've listened to the crowd noises, they've trained to crowd noises and everything. And I think like lifestyle habits as well, you know, it's like uh, one of them would have post-it notes everywhere with positive affirmations just to start his day right, you know, and he would take some of them with him and anytime he ever felt down, he would always read them and suddenly it would help boost his morale a bit more. And, you know, it's like um, when you get out of the wrong side of the bed, your day can really spiral. So it's making sure that we can get ourselves back on track so that doesn't happen. So, you know, one bad thing doesn't lead to the next, to the next. And it's not just that, it's like our thoughts as well, being able to monitor how we think and feel, which is tough. But it's like, take, say, if we think 50,000 thoughts, for instance, a day, generally 70% of that is negative. That's 35,000 thoughts that are negative. Now, if I give you 50,000 pounds to spend a day, every day, Okay. You know, I tend to spend that money on things that make me happy. If I spend my money on things that make me unhappy, think me crazy. So um, I do the same with my thoughts. I try to spend my thoughts as wisely as I would as if it were money. So I don't waste anything, you know, and anything that is detrimental or negative, I know, but I don't let that determine and dictate how I feel. So it's really important. And that way I don't create a permanent set of circumstances when I was temporarily annoyed or angry. And it feeds into security as well. If someone's yelling at me and everything and I deck him, you know, I, I just beat him to the ground. For the split second that I do that, I'll feel great because it's instant gratification, instant relief. And then I've got to deal with the legal consequences after that. Do I really want to be doing that? And then I then start regretting something that I did when I was temporarily angry. Now I've got a criminal record and it's not where you want to be. I don't have a criminal record, but <laughs> but um, do you see what I mean? So it's yeah. like, it's always important that we monitor how we think and how we feel. Mm. And that helps determine our behavior. That's super interesting. Um, have you managed to eradicate some amount of anxiety from yourself by doing all these tricks? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I think anxiety is there to protect us. So we all have a level of anxiety so mine would be if I walk from this nightclub back to car, for instance, I think it's okay to be a little paranoid, but um, I don't get angry. I might get a little frustrated sometimes, but that always subsides because I catch it before it manifests in my behavior or into something that I might regret saying later on. But um, in terms of how I carry myself, I never, ever lose my pool. And... Um, I think that's important. If you've built yourself up to a certain level, as soon as you lose your cool, I feel that kind of diminishes everything I've built up. Of course, I have my own ways to release certain emotions, like um, I play music, I do my martial arts training, I go to the gym, and that is meditation in motion. So I don't always have to be sat still and you know, closing my eyes, picturing nothing. You can be moving. And a lot of people don't realize they're already doing it. You know, that's why they feel so good when they're at the gym. They're already doing it. And then when you're at the gym, you're exhausted, you're out of breath and everything, and you're going to push harder on the next set. God, you're breathing and you're very much in the moment. And people don't realize they're already meditating. Your PhD was based around uh, psychology of some kind. How much have you looked into like instinct? So instinct is something that I'm fascinated by because of my martial arts training. Now, with martial arts training, you're taught to react. You're conditioned to move a certain way when someone attacks you in a certain way. Personally, I think it is absolutely possible to train those instincts into conscious acts 
conscious uh, movements. So for instance, let's say you and I are about to cross the road and I don't see a car coming, okay, but you do. You're going to grab me pretty quickly, instinctively, or you're going to like put your hand uh, in front of me so I don't cross the road. And that will be you doing it instinctively. And as a parent, for instance, a parent will do that very naturally for a child. It's just like a reflex. Yeah, you do but- that realize it, yeah. I think it is absolutely possible to, and I know it's possible because I do it, but it's um, to train those instincts into something that is conscious so you can think within every single move that you do as you're doing it in real time. And um, a lot of footballers can do this, you know, so they can choose to make that switch between this leg to this leg to do this and that instantaneously, and they can think within the moment. That's incredible. It's like if, say, I'm playing basketball, you know, this is my strategy. But then as it turns out, my opponents are actually very good. You know, I'm going to have to think on the spot. I'm going to have to do this. And normally what happens is our brain has to deal with the lag between the senses. So as soon as I start thinking, it's too late. So I think it's good to train those instincts first. And then eventually you can train to think within those instincts. But it takes ages. I thought of two interesting situations I've been in recently, but neither of them ended like badly. But it was twice I was walking along with my partner. And the first time we were walking through somewhere, it was like complete daylight. But then I suddenly just got a feeling about these people that were nearby. And I was like trying to drag her off to get her away. And I don't think she had picked up on it. And then another time we were walking somewhere else and it was like down a dark alley. And then like a group of guys were walking behind us. But my partner got a bit anxious but I didn't feel instinctively that that was a bad situation we're in that time no I'm open to the idea that maybe I was wrong about not being nervous the second time or I was wrong about the first time but do you know what people pick up from when they get worried in those situations and also is there difference between instincts of men and women as well or is it just down to the individual i think it is down to the individual if you are with your partner for instance and you are more physically capable than your partner is or you're more switched on for whatever reason that makes you responsible for that person so whoever i'm with I'm responsible for them. Even if they done some kind of training before, or even if they haven't done any training, I'm responsible for them. So I will be on more heightened alert. And sometimes that balance changes, you know, between like a girlfriend and a boyfriend, sometimes that balance does change. And it can be from everything we've ever watched on television or movies and everything, like the cliche of walking down a dark alley, for instance. Now, I think when you do see people in a certain way. For instance, I don't look particularly friendly when I'm walking down the street just because I want people to leave me alone. Um, (laughs) Especially at nighttime, you know, I just want to get from A to B. That way, you know, I get there quickly, safely and everything. I tend to wear a hoodie, maybe a hat and everything. But being at five foot nine and at 17 and a half stones, you know, I don't look overly friendly, especially um, with my eyebrows you know, angled downwards, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> so um, when I see people who then cross the road because they've spotted me, at no point do I ever take offense to that. If, mm. if anything, I commend them because they don't know me and they think I look a certain way which could present them with danger. And if they do that, then, hey, well done. It means that you were aware and I could have been a potential threat. I'm not, but you don't know that. Mm. And I think I commend people who do that. Of course, you know, I get stopped by the police sometimes and I, you know, I'm wearing a hoodie, I'm wearing a hat and everything. And, you know, hey, look, I'm always very compliant and I get it. It's never discrimination. It's profiling. So there are two sides to that coin. And when I used to work the doors, for instance, I would do the same. 
you know, if people aren't wearing the right dress code as they're walking in, you know, or they're wearing a hoodie or something and they've got the hood on and everything, I might have to tell them to take the hood down. You know, we are always influenced by what we see on TV, uh, what we hear in the news and everything, and um, and even experiences that we've had personally or the experiences that other people have had. It all shapes how we behave when we're in that situation, which is why I would always advise people not to walk around with their headphones in looking at their phone. I'd always advise that no one does that, not just because of the potential dangers, but also you don't want to walk into a lab post. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah. And if I'm going to attack anyone, if I get into the mindset of someone who's going to mug someone, it's always going to be someone who was not prepared for it. It's going to be quick opportunity. I can see that person. They won't see me coming. By the time they react, they're going to try and take the headphones out or try to put the phone away and everything. It's too late. If you walk around with your eyes about you, if you drive, for instance, or cycle, the observations you have when you're driving and cycling is what you should always have when you're walking. So you always keep your eyes around about you. So let's say um, I'm going to mug you today. Okay. I, I can see you. Okay. I'm approaching you now. You've turned your head and you've spotted me. And what I'm going to do is turn my head down and walk on. And here's the thing, though. You have avoided the situation by passing the curse on to someone else. <laughs> yeah. So we want to make sure that we are always aware of the situation. So I think awareness is your best friend, always. And if you can run, even better, even better. But I would always say it's better to err on the side of caution. Depending on who I'm with, my approach might be different, like with a child, for instance. But either way, my responsibility is always to get them from A to B, you know, and not to take in the sights too much. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Uh, which uh, martial art is best for general self-defense? Ooh, 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 ooh. Right, so I think if you want to learn quick self-defense, you know, modern self-defense, Krav Maga is pretty good, which is an Israeli combat system. It's essentially counter-terrorism. Oh. So there's some gun disarms, knife training and everything. And you got a lot of different things. Um, and the variety is pretty good. For a base level of self-defense, I think it's good. But I also don't think it's it can be the only thing you know. I always think it's good to diversify and learn as much as you can because, you know, a musician never wants to run out of songs to play. As a linguist, for instance, you know, if someone asks me a question in another language, I don't want to have the same answer for everything. I want lots of answers for the same question. It is absolutely the same for martial arts. So we can diversify what we do because no one situation is ever the same. So the same techniques might not work again unless the conditions are the same, which they rarely are. So um, I think if you do get into self-defense, um, Krav Maga is good. I do think you can start learning other things as well. I know some people do a lot of mixed martial arts and you know MMA and you know aim to watch cage fighting and everything. If you do that, that's great. What I would say to that though is whilst it is diversified, you've got different art forms mashed into one, it's very good one-on-one. -on -one. But if you've got five or six guys who are all armed, then your training might not take that into account. So it's always important to learn as much as you can from wherever you can, whenever you can. That's interesting. I thought of earlier, like, you know, in Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan films, when there's loads of people coming from different directions and they're giving it all that. Mm. Uh, how, <laughs> how realistic is that? <laughs> um, so <laughs> when you watch the outtakes in the Jackie Chan films, you, 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 <laughs> you know, if you can run and if you can't run it, you have to use your um, surroundings, for instance, even better. Okay. But 
ultimately, it's like if people can be quite tough, if you hit them, they're probably going to get back up and they're probably going to fight you more. And you don't know what they're under the influence of. It might be a combination of things. So they might not feel pain in the same way as they would if they weren't under that kind of influence. So these are always factors that we have to take into account. So if I'm about to pick a fight or someone's picking a fight with me, I need to weigh up the situation. I'll fight if I absolutely have to, but if I can avoid it even better and if I can run, fine. But if they chase you, chances are they're going to catch up to you. And then you will be back at square one minus the stamina. So I always say to people, you know, cardiovascular fitness is important, you know, and the problem is the more you fight, the less peace you have. Let's say I pick a fight with you today because I want your wallet and that very nice microphone that you have. Uh, <laughs> let's say you fight me off and you keep the stuff. Okay. Yeah, you might feel pretty good about that. Hey, now, okay, because you've knocked me down a peg, I'm going to find you with my friends. I might follow you. Okay, might see where you work and everything. And then I'll catch you when you least expect it. So it's much like when I finish a shift, doing door work now i'm off guard you know what i mean so it's always weighing up and looking at the bigger picture do i want this to come to bite me in the ass later on and the answer is always no no because they will always pick a time to fight you of their choosing it's never of your choosing so i would always say you know oh you just want to be as careful as possible and weigh up everything and it's important that when we are under stress for instance you want to be able to weigh up the odds pretty quickly in real time and when you're scared what you are able to do is severely limited so i'd always say to people you know you want to return your breathing back to what it is when it's relaxed that way you can handle this situation as if you were relaxed and more objectively if you handle it subjectively you're gonna make more mistakes (laughs) so you don't want to say anything that might aggravate the situation (laughs) so you can trick yourself into thinking you're relaxed just by breathing absolutely so when we are suddenly nervous uh, or scared or anxious our nervous system actually changes so um our brain disengages our stomach so that we can run even faster but then whatever we had just eaten stops getting digested so we tend to start feeling sick and you know hands get clammy and everything so um it's not where we want to be so it's like if i'm about to do a presentation in front of a thousand people oh yeah i don't feel so good you know Hmm. you see what i mean now if i can change my breathing back to what it is when it's relaxed then my nervous system changes back to what it is when it's relaxed and then i'm able to function a lot more objectively And that's so, so important. Another thing that um, I think is important is if you're getting into a dangerous situation, breathing is one thing, but also actually talking to yourself as well, telling yourself, no, I'm going to do this. And just to get it out, you know, okay, this is the situation. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. These are the objectives and everything, if there's time to do that, you know. And then when you speak it out loud, it helps to program your mind a bit more. Otherwise, your brain has all these thousands of thoughts moving at a mile a minute. So we want to be as objective as possible. What makes you scared? Is it public speaking? Uh, mm, I, <laughs> oh, what scares me? Right, so the only thing that scares me in general is people. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing that scares me. There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Like, it was like 8 billion or something. <laughs> So it's like the, the other week I was doing a little talk for the Cubs and um, I'll be doing a talk for the Scouts as well at some point. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know what? If they all charge at me, they can all trample me. 
<laughs> and it's so irrational, you know what I mean? It's it's so so irrational, and just feeling these tiny little feet running over you, like ah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the stuff that scares me is stuff that I can't change. For instance, if I hear about a situation that has happened to a friend, which resulted in them getting scared or hurt, that's what scares me. It's the fact that I wasn't able to do anything. So sometimes the thoughts get the better of you and your imagination gets the better of you. You know, it could have been worse. That could have been avoided. So those are all things that I try to keep a lid on. You know what I mean? You can't be responsible for everyone, but the most important thing you can do is just stay aware, stay safe, and just keep your eyes about you. (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation on set where you're doing stunts where something's gone wrong? There's a scene where I fly, quote unquote, over a table and land horrendously. Um, I broke my hand on the second take. And um, yeah, uh, we did six takes. The adrenaline carried me through for the next two takes. But then uh, there was a break where they had to reverse the camera from the other angle. And by that point, the adrenaline had worn off and the hand was huge. I mean, my palm was huge. So um, yeah, I broke my ankle on a four-month shoot on the second week. And um, yeah, I was like, I've got three and a half months left. Okay, great. Yeah, so no, things do happen, you know. So uh, duct tape is your friend. (laughs) I duct taped my ankles, both of them actually, just in case, and my knees as well. Of course, there's only so much mobility you have with that, but you just have to make do. And um, sometimes there is a physio or um, first aider on set who can actually help you, which I definitely made sure I made use of. Yeah, accidents do happen. I think more nowadays, just because stunt work has so many more um, regulations and everything, and you've got things that can be done digitally and everything, which is great. I think the emphasis on health and safety is far, far more stringent than it used to be, which is great. But um, you want to avoid as many accidents as you can. But there are things that still happen, like Olivia Jackson, who was a stunt performer for one of the last Resident Evil films, and she ended up losing an arm, and her spine is contorted um so it's um that's an ongoing issue as well but it's like you know i think it's very important that stunt performers get that recognition of this is dangerous work there's a lot of risk to it so i know there are now campaigns for oscars for stunts you know which i think is essential absolutely i feel that a lot of the stunt performers are unsung heroes of of the industry just because there's so much danger and so much hardships that they put themselves through and um they do these insane stunts you know and it's like wow when you watch the outtakes like especially with jackie chan films and you know you see the outtakes of how hurt he got and um i'm also pretty sure no insurance company actually likes him right now but (laughs) (laughs) But, um for sure you know we just want to limit as many accidents as possible that was like my dream job actually when i was really young was to be a stuntman (laughs) really (laughs) i'm far too clumsy though i think it's a good job i didn't end up doing it For sure, it's rewarding. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, because I think with it's like you get days where it's not busy at all and you're just help rehearsing or setting up and everything, but you're all part of a team. Hmm. Everyone's part of a team and everything. And if you're not going to be on camera today doing the actual stunt, then you're there helping to set that stunt up. You grab the stunt performer who is going to be on camera, you grab them whatever they need. And even if it is, um, hey, look, do you want a tea or a coffee? Is anything I can get you and everything? So at the end of the day, you're a massive team and you just work together. So I make you look good. You make me look good. And when I'm not on camera, hey, what can I do for you? So it is a massive team. And um, at the end of the day, we just want to 
do cool stuff and you know make sure we do it safely uh, nice what do you do to relax um so i play piano i watch a lot of star trek um <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and i uh, like to work out and everything i meditate all the time as well i will say though my meditations do transition into naps um <laughs> not ashamed to say that <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. It's like, uh, oh, dude, you were sleeping, man. No, 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 no. I, I, I was napping. Like, well, dude, you were snoring. I'm like, that was my mantra. Yeah. <laughs> so during yeah, lockdown, the first lockdown that is, there was plenty of time to do my own thing. You know, so um, I released a martial arts book called The Martial Heart, uh, wow. which I'm proud of the name. <laughs> and um, it's all about the non-physical aspects of martial arts and the attributes, the characteristics, the traits that's important to have as a martial artist, such as composure under pressure, awareness, talking your way out of a situation. And also I released a piano album at the same time. So it took 11 years to get all the tunes and I forgot a few of them, you know, I mean, there's 26 tunes in my album, but they're 26 of the best ones of the ones I could actually remember. But uh, yeah, that's available to stream everywhere absolutely everywhere so i always like to stay productive i'm always doing something and these days in my little social bubble um i'm working to produce more short films and um do a bit of writing and uh, pulling resources together and yeah so um it's a lot of fun at the moment <laughs> how about yourself uh oh what do i like to do to relax I don't know. Yeah, it's watch comedy mainly, I think. Or oh, nice, listen to podcasts. Because nice. I saw you had a comedian on, on your last episode. Is that right? Yeah, um, Sadia Asmat. That's right, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, she was fun <laughs> to talk to. <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple of Brilliant. comedians on. Yeah, they're good to talk to. I love comedy. I'm mates with this comedian called Judy Love. She's phenomenal. Oh, okay. Um, I've never heard of her. <laughs> is she good, is she? Oh, she's incredible. Oh, God. When you see her live, she's electric. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Yeah. I think with comedy, God, you've got to get it right. You know what I mean? It's, um, I know there's been some backlash with jokes that comedians said years ago, which is coming back now. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, a lot of comedy is always at someone else's expense, and I'm yeah. always all right with that. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it's in some ways, quite a hard time to be a comedian, but in other ways, it's great because you've got the internet and a lot of self publishing as well, and podcasts. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't need permission to have your own show, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> this is my 11th podcast interview this year, actually. Oh, blimey. Oh, it's great. I love them. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 good fun. This year? Wow. You've only done as yeah. many as I have. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been running for? As in the podcast? Mm. Since lockdown, yeah. No way, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, technically the first two I recorded like the year before, but uh, yeah, mm. <laughs> a bit of an issue with procrastination. But then, yeah, just <laughs> needed something to do during the first lockdown. So I was like, right, I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, that's fantastic. I see you have a YouTube channel as well. I do, yeah. So the YouTube channel is something I started when I was well, about 15 years ago. It was before I moved to Oxford and everything. And uh, I just created an account to watch videos and all that. And um, yeah, occasionally put up any martial art videos and stuff. And it kind of blew up over the past couple of years a bit more because I don't really use it as much as I should do. But there's one of my friends called Master Wong. Yeah, I've seen your videos of him, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> The guy is incredible. He's got, what, 2.5 million subscribers and everything. So we've been mates for years. And when he gets me on his show to do some 
demonstrations and everything. And uh, yeah, like uh, I respond to some of the comments and all that on his videos. And then that gets me more followers. And uh, I should be doing more with my YouTube channel over the coming months for sure. But for now, it's just I take a video of myself doing some training, take a video of myself doing some piano or whatever. Um, contrary to what a lot of YouTubers find, the people who comment on my videos are really nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. You know, they always uh, comment on my videos saying, hey, how are you? You know, where are you at and everything? And, you know, I see the same few people, which is really nice. I will be doing more stuff with my YouTube in coming months for sure. I saw your Master Wong and you like grabbed... I don't know if you're doing, I can't remember exactly what you're doing, but someone, <laughs> you, you, you sort of had someone's arm behind them, but just by like grabbing, it was either their thumb or their finger. <laughs> it looked really simple. Oh yeah, I know the one. Yeah. I know the one, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's good for, um, you know, security. It's, it, it's yeah. good for, if someone does reach for you or whatever, you know, and it causes them pain, but mm. not irrevocable damage, mm. you know. It doesn't permanently injure them, which is great. Yeah, that's another thing, you know, just knowing how to control yourself and control someone else. But no, I always have a lot of fun on Master Wong's show. The energy on that man is something else. You know, it's um, <laughs> like when he's off camera, he's not too different. You know, no, he's, he's still very same. energetic yeah. and um, he's very enthusiastic and everything. And uh, I remember he messaged me one night and um, I didn't see it until about two or three in the morning. I think when I woke up just to get something to drink and everything, I thought, oh, got a message from Master Wong. I replied saying, yeah, yeah, man, sure. Yeah, sounds good. As soon as I sent it, red. I thought, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the guy is, um, he's got it down. You know, he's got the social networking and YouTube. He's really nailed it. Yeah. So I'm really happy for him. So anytime I come onto a show or whatever, his videos get reposted on Facebook or something. It's always interesting to see the comments. And uh, <laughs> sometimes people say to me um, on the street, hey, I recognize you from those martial art videos. I'm like, oh, really? They're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Like, uh, no, I really love your videos. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate that. And then they'll say, but you talk so differently in oh. the videos. <laughs> you must and I thought, wait, wait. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> so do you put on the accent when you're doing the videos? I'm like, um, you know I'm not Master Wong, right? And suddenly the look of, oh, oh. <laughs> That's happened a couple times. I thought, oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. I, mean, I mean, the only thing that we have that's similar is that we're both bold. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Some of the things people have said, like at McDonald's, you know, randomly. And some guy said, oh, dude, yeah, so um, do you reckon you could really take every boxer? I'm like, excuse me? He said, yeah, yeah, I saw that video you did about, you know, how you can destroy boxers' hands with your elbows. I said, mate, I hate to break it to you, it's not me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, some of them will want to take selfies with me. And boy, are they in shock when they realize that's not Master <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's funny though. Like, I did an autograph for someone because mm. he thought I was Master Wong. I thought, well, all right, okay, fine. <laughs> oh my goodness. Did he take a picture of you with it and then tag Master Wong in it? Master Wong, oh, you, he, you know what? I, I think he did, but I think when the comments were, you know, that's not him, ah. right? Uh, <laughs> Stuff does get removed down pretty quickly, but it's uh, fine. Uh, it, it doesn't bother me too much. I find it more funny than anything. I think it's like when Samuel L. Jackson and Lawrence Fishburne get confused. I'm like, 
they don't look anything alike. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so awkward, but uh. Have you ever been mistaken for anyone else as well, or is it just Master Wong? Mostly just Master Wong, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I look like anyone else remotely. You know, people said that, you know, when I have sunglasses, I look like Morpheus. I'll take the compliment in that, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Has anyone ever recognized you for someone else? Or No, just Master Wong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I tell you what, in Oxford, there is, apparently, there are people who have seen this guy who looks just like me, but he wears glasses. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, because um, someone wrote on my Facebook a few years ago. So, oh, you're such a huge movie star now that when I see you cycling and you stop at the traffic lights, you don't even wave back at me and make me look like an idiot. <laughs> and I'm like, dude. I don't have a bike. <laughs> I remember I went to this dance class and um, people said, hey, hey, Phil, uh, hey, do you not wear glasses anymore? I'm like, Phil? So at least I've got a name now. So I thought, there's a guy out there who looks like me. And I remember I was having coffee one time um, at Costa at the Tesco. And I see this guy, and I kid you not, he was of a similar kind of build, bold, and he had glasses. I thought, oh, it can't be. It must yeah. And you know what? If you're looking around pretty quickly, I can see why people would think he looked like me. Did you go and talk to him? Are you Phil? <laughs> no, no. I mean, to explain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, there are other actors in different shows, like Killing Eve, for instance, who people mistake me for. I'm like, no, no, that's my mate Simon Chin. We look nothing alike, oh. but all right. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, uh, you know, from Marco Polo. It's like, oh, mate, I saw you. You know, I'm like, it's not me. It's not me. But uh, no, it's fine. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, that's always I hear about movie stars who get mistaken for other movie stars. But I never hear it with like the yeah. general population, really. So <laughs> you must have like an aura to you. Ah, uh, you know, I take the compliments. Like uh, when someone says, "Hey, man, you look like Odd Job from the Bond films." I was thinking you looked a bit like what's the the sort of imitation of that, but from was it Austin Powers with the guy who chucks the shoe? No, no, not not that guy. <laughs> no? That guy's in a whole load of trouble now. He, he? He's uh, <laughs> yeah, he's in prison on multiple accounts of all kinds of stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bad comparison. <laughs> we don't behave like him. <laughs> that guy, it, you know, he doesn't even come close to this kind of friendly, honestly. Uh. <laughs> uh. I think his name was Hard Task or something like that in the Awesome Powers film. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so what you got coming up? I have a few short films planned, um, oh, nice. which we'll probably shoot in January. And I've got Marvel Eternals coming out in November next year, which I'm very excited for. But uh, yeah, I've got a few things lined up. Just submitted a short film called At the which is um, now being submitted to festivals. I'm not an actor in that, but I produced it. I'm oh, one of the nice. producers, so um, I'm very excited for it. So yeah, got, got some things in the works. I'm going to work on a second book as well. Um, how about yourself? Oh, uh, who knows, eh? <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, man. No, thanks for having me. You know, I had a great time. No worries. We should do it again anyway. Absolutely. You let me know when and we'll make it happen. Hey, thanks for listening and thank you to John for joining me. Catch John on Instagram at shuazanphd and check out his website shua-zan.com. Follow the show at trtppod. Subscribe, review, tell your friends. Okay, bye.